Well, we're just waiting for the PowerPoint to come up because there's a glorious picture on the front of it that I want you to see and to actually look at for a few seconds. It's a, a glorious picture of the Lamb of God. Something's not quite working as it should. Anyway, I'll, um, I'll just I'll just start, I think. <clears throat> and it's very likely that right now, what most people are thinking about is the election on the 14th. As we drive around, we see, we see billboards everywhere. And then we see the evidence of destruction with the vandalism as well, which is a pretty sad comment on society. But we are getting very close, and it's only two weeks away. And there are a couple of issues that I feel compelled to address with respect to that. And first of all, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, we read what is generally called the creation mandate. When Creator God assigned rulership and government of the earth to mankind, Remember Psalm 115, verse 16, which says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. And what's more, the Lord calls his church the ecclesia, the governing, ruling authority. And that doesn't simply mean rulership in the church. His kingdom of priests and kings is meant to be ruling the earth on Creator God's behalf, on earth as it is in heaven. So, the kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, and we are told that we are a kingdom of priests. We are meant to be ruling the earth on Creator God's behalf. And just think how far away we are from that. How far we are from that. <laughs> Yet, despite man's failure to live up to that vocation, that calling, the Lord's call is still to rise and shine. Don't you love it when the Holy Spirit just puts everything together? His call is still for us to rise and shine, and his command is to be salt and light. And those demands, those calls on our life are in no way diminished. And that's why we can't ignore the election. It's why we can't treat it lightly. It's time for each and every one of us to stand up and be counted. Oh, hallelujah. So just take a moment to do the lighting's not terribly good on there, but just, just have a look at that glorious picture of the line and the shadow of Jesus' head behind it. It's a beautiful, stunning picture. Okay, we should be able to, to move on. Now the other thing. Oh, thank you. There's, the, there's the, the creation mandate verse and then Psalm 115. 
So, so I'm saying, I'm saying we can't ignore the election. We can't, we can't um, treat it lightly, and we have to stand up and be counted. Now, the other thing we ignore at our peril is the vast evidence of dreadful evil and wickedness in high places. Even though evil has been rife in the world forever, I suspect it's never been quite as truly evidently global as it is today. Jesus advised us in Matthew 24, oh, going a bit too far, in Matthew 24, that there will come a time when evil would be as prevalent across the world as it was in the days of Noah. So that's Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. That's the description of the days of Noah. And as we learn of the foul schemes of the globalist's agenda as they diligently seek to do the devil's work of polluting and destroying everything that God loves, it is no exaggeration to claim that we're pretty much in that place now. Regardless of the devil doing his worst, I again boldly make this declaration. There is no power on heaven on earth or under the earth that will ever prevail against the power of the living God. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is sovereign. He totally defeated the devil at Calvary. Totally defeated the yes. devil at Calvary. Yes. This is the time for us to rise and shine, to be salt and light to the world to stand in the authority that we have in Christ. We have the authority of the living God to stand against the works of the devil, to resist, and resist we must. Amen. And I'm going to be a bit brazen here, but just imagine if a government in New Zealand declared another shutdown, lockdown, and they'd say it's because we need to protect the climate. Will we stand up and say no? Will we say I will not comply? As James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. He has to. If you resist in the name of the power of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy has to flee. So what does resistance look like for you and me? With regard to the election on the 14th, be assured that your vote and my vote can resist the works of darkness. We can declare the Lordship of Jesus as we place our hope and trust in the living God, the sovereign Lord, in whose hands are the affairs of the nation. Isaiah 66 verse 8 says, Can a country be born in a day? Yes. Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? And the answer is, yes, yes, it can. Matthew 7. We can build our house on the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. 
And the old hymn says it all. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. No other, all other ground is sinking sand. In a nutshell, if we don't heed the trumpet call to make a stand for righteousness, if we don't vote bravely and wisely as the Lord directs, then the consequences will be dire. Remember in Genesis 6, it took just one man to make himself available to God. One man who had not been corrupted by the world. And it says in Genesis 6 verse 8, Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Specifically for us here at Tillamangi Life Church, let's not forget the number of times our gracious Lord has given us words of counsel, that hard times are coming. And each time that word has come with an invitation to draw increasingly close to him. And I have to say to you, even though Wendy and I are neighbours, I did not know what she was going to share when I wrote her message. It's just the way the Lord just works. It's just the way he works. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. His invitation, step out of the boat, his invitation, come close. And although we truly are living in extremely dangerous days, yet there is strength and comfort and protection in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our current circumstances, it's not always easy to focus on the Lord because the horror and devastation of what's happening around the world and here in New Zealand can help us to be a bit defeatist and a bit downcast sometimes. But... Amen. Amen. We serve the living God, the sovereign King, the holy and righteous one. Our God loves his creation and longs for each one to be fully reconciled to him. So then how do we do that? How do we draw close to him? What does it mean to find our strength and protection in the Lord? Well, many of us here have been Christians for many decades. Others maybe not so long. But regardless of that, it's always good to go right back to our basic doctrines and refresh ourselves in the sacred truths of our faith. God created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity for fellowship. And he gave mankind the authority to rule the earth and cause it to flourish. And he declared his creation to be very good. Then in the Garden of Eden, the devil deceived Adam and Eve into surrendering their authority to him. And immediately sin entered the world, corrupting all that is pure and holy. Then, at just the right time, as Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus, the only begotten Son of Father God, came to earth as a human being to reconcile humanity to Father, to restore the shattered relationship between Creator and created, and to pay the penalty for mankind's sin. And as I was preparing this, I went back to my little book by Baxter Kruger. I can never get away from what Baxter Kruger wrote. The death of Jesus Christ is part of a seamless movement that began in eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it reached fulfillment with the exaltation of the human race and the ascension of Jesus, an exaltation to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, which means you and I are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of Father God because of Jesus. If we are to understand why Jesus died, what happened in his death, and what it means for us today, we have to go back to eternity, to the astonishing decision of Father, Son, and Spirit to include us in their circle of shared life. For the reality that drives the coming of Jesus Christ and pushes him to the cross is the relentless and determined passion of the Father to have us as his beloved children. I have to read those again. The astonishing decision of Father, Son, and Spirit to include us in their circle of shared life. The reality that drives the coming of Jesus Christ and pushes him to the cross is the relentless and determined passion of the Father to have us as his beloved children. This extraordinary desire for friendship and fellowship with his creation gives us something of a glimpse of the true nature and the character of the God we serve. He actually created you and he actually created me so we can be part of an intimate fellowship with him. Now, how can we not bow down and worship a God like that? His love for mankind and his relentless compassion towards his people are the core of the Bible message. With the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus right at the center of the story. For all eternity, Jesus is our Savior. Remember that comment by Jim McConnell, before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Think about what that means. From all eternity, God's love reached out to save his people. And it's through the cross of Jesus that you and I and every other person on earth have full and free access to Father God. It's an open invitation. When we accept the Lordship of Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the living God, adopted into his eternal family. This is who Jesus is. 
the one who leads us into intimacy with the Father. And in the chapters 14 through to 17 of, of John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the Father is in me and I am in the Father and I am in you. And the Westminster Confession says we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. Enjoy him forever. At the cross, Jesus completely defeated the devil. Completely. Amen. Stripping him of the authority he had stolen from humanity. Jesus conquered all the powers of sin and death. He took back the keys of death and hell. He took back the stolen authority originally intended for humanity. At the cross, Jesus not only paid the penalty for mankind's sin, he broke its power. Hallelujah. He reversed its curse. His suffering offers full forgiveness for all sin. All people, once and for all. He took all the shame. He took all the guilt. So there is no condemnation, as Romans 8, 1 says. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. His work on the cross is finished. It's a complete work. He can't do anything else. The devil is a totally defeated foe. Sin no longer has any power over those who honour the Lord Jesus. And as the old hymn says, what a saviour. Mm. What a saviour. At this point, I want us to pause and express our worship and gratitude by singing the chorus, His Name is Wonderful. And we can stay seated. Annie, can you? Did you want to stop there? No. no. Okay. So let's just sing. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. He Now let's be clear about one thing. Even though Jesus totally defeated the devil at Calvary, he did not eliminate him. 
The devil still tries to deceive us into believing that he has authority. Now we know the verses in 1 Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, some of you are probably familiar with Oswald Chambers' little devotional, his utmost for my highest. Now, he wrote this. The devil doesn't tempt us just to make us do wrong things. He tempts us to make us lose what God has put into us through the new birth. Namely, the possibility of being of value to God. He doesn't come to us on the premise of tempting us to sin, but on the premise of shifting our point of view. And it's a really important mm -hmm. distinction. Temptation is not about offering the chance to do something naughty or perhaps something really bad. Temptation for the devil is about trying to get us to walk away from what the Lord God has destined for us. I heard someone say once that the devil's not really all that concerned about souls getting saved and then sitting happily in their pews because they're not going to be any threat to him whatsoever. They won't be any, inflicting any damage on the devil's work. What does concern him is preventing people from understanding the true meaning of Calvary, the true authority that mankind has in the name of Jesus as they live out the fullness of the kingdom of God here on earth. As we rise and shine, as we live as salt and light in the earth, daily exercising our God-given authority of children of the living God, the powers of darkness are driven back and rendered helpless. Back to my earlier statement that sin no longer has any power over those who honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. Of course we do. We all stumble, sometimes quite badly. But I repeat, Jesus conquered the power of sin. He paid the penalty. He took all the shame. He took all the guilt. What's important is that we understand the full nature of our forgiveness, the implications and true freedom from the power of sin. Jesus has already forgiven the repentant heart. We don't have to plead forgiveness. He's already given us forgiveness on the cross. We have a choice. How do we respond to this extraordinary gift of forgiveness? Does it fill our heart with gratitude that brings us to our knees in surrender? God's outrageous love, his totally OTT extravagant love, has given us everything. He gave us himself so that you and I can be free. His passion for fellowship with his people has never waned. His heart is one of mercy and grace, longing for intimacy with you and me. And we see it all the way through the Old Testament. We see it all the way through the New Testament. And I just want to read a couple of passages to you. 
This is from Ezekiel. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Amen. And then in 1 Peter, the same thing. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The passion of God's heart is, again, it's all the way through the Old Testament. It's all the way through the New Testament. And once before, I shared with you on Psalm 89, the little block there from verse 30 to 37. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. And despite Israel's abominable idolatry and their constant wickedness, nine times in Jeremiah chapter 32, the Lord says, I will surely gather them. I will bring. I will be their God. I will give. I will make. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire. I will rejoice. I will assuredly plant them. Nine times. In one verse, when Jeremiah is on about the wickedness and the idolatry and the rejection of God, and yet this is the way God responds. What a glorious picture of a God who loves with relentless and determined compassion. Psalm 24, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. The whole of the New Testament is an expression of that same passionate love of Father's heart for his people. His relentless and determined passion. His yearning for fellowship. Our God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. In other words, he is everything. He is all powerful. He knows everything. He is everywhere, all at once. And he longs to share himself with you and me. He has wonderful, glorious gifts just waiting for us to take hold of. And this is the Passion Translation of that verse 1 Corinthians 2.9. Things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine, these are the things that God has in store for all his lovers. But now God unveils those profound realities to us by his spirit. Did you get it? He he unveils those things that we haven't had the ability to imagine. They're all just waiting for us. They're waiting for us. And what is our response? Through Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have access, free and full access, to things far beyond anything we could even start to imagine. And it's it's like people say it's too good to be true. 
Right in this case, it's true. It's true. May my heart and yours too cry out to our God the way David did. Psalm 42. And we sing this sometimes. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet him? And again, in Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. May our hearts be constantly filled with awe and wonder of this glorious God who loves us to distraction. Let's worship the Lord Almighty with every part of who we are. He truly is the King of glory. How can we not worship him? How can we not bow down before him? He is worthy of all praise. All honour, majesty, dominion and might are his. And I finish with Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Oh God, mighty God, we worship you. Lord, you are worthy, worthy of all praise, all honour and glory and majesty and might. Lord, thank you for your extraordinary love. Stir our hearts, stir our hearts, stir our hearts, Lord God, to chase after you with every fibre of our being. Oh, Lord God, fill our hearts with praise and worship. Oh, hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah. And let's, let's, just, let's just praise him by saying, singing this chorus, you are worthy of it all. And let, let's just, just let Holy Spirit move and, and let's just praise him and worship him. Oh, she the other. You can sit or stand, whatever you feel comfortable with.